CAA On Air, the podcast for the UK Civil Aviation Authority. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this edition of CAA On Air, the podcast from the Civil Aviation Authority. I'm Jonathan Nicholson from the CAA's communications team, and today I'm joined by Nathan Lovett. Hello. It's innovation this time uh, on the podcast, and I'm very pleased to say we're joined from America by David and Brendan from EVE, who are one of the uh, newer and very uh, important partners we're working with in our innovation work. So, David and Brendan, uh, welcome. Um, Do you want to introduce yourselves? Sure. Thank you very much for having us. It's a pleasure to be here today. My name is David Rathclap. I'm the Vice President of Business Development for EVE Air Mobility. Hi, and uh, my name is Brendan Heblum. I am the program lead for EVE Urban Air Traffic Management Business. And again, thank you very much for having us. Well, thank you both. And thanks very much for joining us and, and making the time to talk for us. Um, so uh, today, innovation, um, one of the key things that we're working on as an organization at the moment is helping the UK and the world get into uh, innovation and particularly urban air mobility. Now, um, it's a phrase lots of people use. David, from your perspective, from the EVE work, what would you describe urban air mobility as? So we think of urban air mobility as a service, first and foremost, that is committed to being a resource to uh, the general public. It's a pretty relative umbrella term that has been used to apply and reference a lot of different types of things and technologies. For the purposes of this conversation today, uh, let's say urban air mobility is a new chapter in the existing story of the air taxi business that now uses electric vertical takeoff and land aircraft or hybrid vertical takeoff and land aircraft to offer various types of passenger and cargo use cases. Today, we'll be speaking mostly about EVE's approach and our consortium's approach to developing urban air mobility procedures and the types of work streams that we've been partnering on with the CA in support of passenger use cases. Okay, that's brilliant. Thank you. And and that makes sense. That I mean that's that's kind of what we think of as urban air mobility, but it's worth just defining that. So we haven't actually covered what Eve is and and you know what the work is. So for the people out there that haven't come across Eve, what are you and, and what actually are you working on at the moment? So Eve is a company that was recently spun out of Embraer X, Embraer's Project Accelerator and Disruptive Innovation Subsidiary, with several different projects that were incubated inside Embraer X for almost four years. One of them is an electric vertical takeoff and land project that we have been incubating since 2017. Another is what my colleague Brendan just mentioned, which is a new paradigm of air traffic management uh, technology and services and procedures, which we call, again, urban air traffic management or UATM. And then third is our services and support business. Each of these business areas, if you will, have been spun out of Ember X and put into EVE as um, more of a complete solution that EVE hopes to offer the, the aviation and transportation industry as more of an ecosystem integrator as opposed to just being uh, an eVTOL manufacturer. We're very privileged and humbled to have had the experience in building and certifying aircraft for over 50 years, as well as having the very unique experience of developing uh, an existing portfolio of air traffic control products that is already in use today in countries like Brazil and India. But what's very interesting about that is that technology is also used to manage the world's largest air taxi environment, which is Sao Paulo, that sees upwards of 1,300 air taxi operations every day. So through our partner company, ATEC, which is responsible for developing that technology, 
We have learned a tremendous amount about what it takes to build and certify aircraft as well as trusted, safe air traffic control software. So EVE is about taking the best of what Embraer has developed, bringing that intellectual horsepower and knowledge into EVE where we can create the next generation of that technology and offer that to the urban air mobility industry as a more complete solution. And again, as that broader ecosystem integrator and partner. That's, that's great. So you're building on that history you've got as, as that manufacturer, that air traffic manufacturer, building all of that into sort of working on the future stuff. Now, I know within that EVE work that you're doing with us, there are a, a number of other people in the consortium, aren't there? So um, who, who is it that's also working with you on that? And, and perhaps it's also worth saying what it is that together with that consortium that you're actually working on with us. Sure. So um, Eve uh, is very privileged and, and very proud to be joined with a, a tremendous spectrum of companies that, that are contributing their expertise and their knowledge to developing the, the operational and uh, regulatory framework that we're collaborating on with the CA in order to allow urban air mobility to really have uh, a viable and successful future in London and more broadly in the UK. And so we, we approached each of these companies individually and asked them to partner with us and share their expertise because at the end of the day, um, it, it is our belief that through partnership, industry, stakeholders, important community and country leaders within the UK would like to see that partnership so that industry is really coalescing around what are the needed sources of, of infrastructure, uh, the procedures, the enabling and supporting technology that will be needed to bring this to fruition. So with that in mind, we, we are joined by Nats, London Heathrow Airport, London City Airport, Skyports, Vertical Aerospace, Volocopter, uh, and our air traffic management technology and software company, ATEC, that, that we are working with to develop a lot of these concepts and answer some of these tough regulatory challenges. There's a specific project, isn't there, that, that's part of our work that that consortium is involved in. Do you want to just explain what that is? Sure. Uh, I, I think um, th this would be great for my colleague, Brendan, to help answer. He's okay. been doing a great job leading this. Uh, go, go, for it. go for it, Brendan. What, what are we doing? <laughs> Yes, as David mentioned, we were very privileged to have such a breadth of experience and you know, expertise from our, our partners joining the consortium. And uh, through looking to uh, develop an integrated and a holistic approach to growing and scaling a UAM in the UK, we have identified the CEA Sandbox initiative as a great opportunity to work alongside uh, the regulator, really bring innovation with that regulatory structure to help address the airspace integration challenges for uh, making UAM you know, a reality. So uh, the project that we are, are working on is focused on developing a concept of operations that defines the airspace design, procedures, and infrastructure for safely integrating these electric vertical takeoff and landing uh, systems into the low-level airspace. And uh, through this project, we're seeking to really achieve a roadmap backed by data-driven recommendations for how, in collaboration with the CA, we can overcome the regulatory challenges and, and gaps to, uh, to scaling a UAM in the UK and hopefully provide a, a blueprint for others around the world to overcoming some of these near-midterm hurdles for getting these operations going. 
I think it's worth saying as well that the, the, the reason why you've got those partners here is that they're all play a part and a role in in what you're trying to achieve, which is kind of a, a blueprint for, as an example, of, of how we you, in the UK you could run that urban air mobility between somewhere like Heathrow Airport and London City Airport, aren't you? Absolutely. So part of the, the CONOPS and the approach that we've taken is through the development of a use case, which takes a small network of potential vertiports that span uh, Heathrow Airport to London City Airport to provide a tangible example of how these operations would actually occur and bringing in the you know, key players that make up our consortium to provide that kind of expertise and uh, know-how for how to actually implement and, and grow these kind of operations. And I think it's also just important to, to mention that though Eve is... Uh, leading the, the consortium. It's certainly not a EVE project. We're very much hoping that the outcome and the results of the work we're doing in close collaboration with this group that we've, that we've created is of significant benefit to the rest of the industry to uh, produce results that can be used by, by all and it's not just uh, any one, one company. Yeah, it would be a really big help to kind of get that that blueprint out there for for others, and and I think would it how how are we actually how is the CIA working with you on this? So you mentioned you're part of our, our regulatory sandbox. What what does that actually mean? What what's the relationship, and and what are we both working on together? Yeah, so the CIA and uh, the consortium's relationship through the sandbox is one that provides I think, a lot of. A regulatory structure to the innovative approach that we're taking to bringing UAM to various, you know, to, you know, around the world. And it's provide the CEA in, is providing a much needed sounding board to those concepts and recommendations for how to implement new procedures that are tailored to the specific performance capabilities of the electrical Vertical takeoff and landing systems that we are uh, that are being developed by a number of uh, number of companies. In uh, the beginning of the, the the project, working very closely with the CEA to really understand what the regulatory challenges are, where are the gaps, and having that uh, background and expertise from the regulatory side really much fills a uh, gap that uh, is needed from uh, the work the consortium is doing to develop those uh, concepts of operations, so that we can really ensure the recommendations we're developing are targeting the right areas at the right time. So the ECA is providing that very much needed sounding board uh, to provide that, that feedback. And as we are developing the actual concept of operations, ensure we're addressing the right questions and uh, not putting our efforts in uh, providing recommendations that aren't going to advance the structure in the direction that we need to bring it. I'm going to jump in here with a couple of questions. This whole piece of work and your whole project is looking at developing a proof of concept future travel. So before we get into the detail in terms of what we can expect to see in the future, can we just have a quick sort of summarize the situation at the moment in terms of the current travel infrastructure and how people are making the, these journeys at the moment so that we, we know what the, the present state is and then we can move on to what the future state looks like? Of course. So uh, as I briefly mentioned in the beginning, uh, we believe that um, 
this industry called urban air mobility is is the next generation of what has been, in, in many respects, a, a successful story that begins and began with conventional helicopters offering service as far back as the 1940s and 1950s with services like Los Angeles Airways and New York Airways. Uh, over time, that, that air taxi model has evolved to embrace what's commonly referred to as the shared economy business model. So now passengers only pay for the cost of their seat and, and dividing the cost of the overall operation with other passengers that share their origin and destination. So that has allowed the price point for this type of service to continue to fall. Now that we're on the cusp of the electrification of this aircraft and again, still embracing the shared economy business model, our expectation is that the, the electrification of this aircraft will create an even more accessible price point because those cost savings of operating an electrified aircraft will be passed to the consumer, you and me, which again will, will afford a, more, a much more accessible price point. And so we, we think that while this industry continues to evolve and become more accessible, not only from a price point perspective, but also because these aircraft really stand to be significantly quieter and, and more agreeable in terms of their noise profile, not only in overall decibels, but pitch as well. So we, we think that to get started, we can use many of the existing procedures and infrastructure and air traffic management paradigms that have been created that has allowed the industry globally to, to continue to grow to what it is today. That, of course, involves dedicated helicopter routes that have been used in the past that we can use as a reference and guidance for how we can build eVTOL-specific procedures so that these aircraft can fly as direct as possible from point A to point B. And so through our partnership with Nats in this project, as well as, of course, with the CAA, we're learning as much as we can about what exists and what has existed, not only in the UK, but also in other parts of the world, so that we can learn from the, the best of, of what we've developed globally as an air taxi industry and continue to apply those learnings. Uh, an interesting aspect of, of what we've learned so far in the UK, for example, is while there are many routes that uh, conventional air taxis can use, there are just as many on-route operations as off-route operations. But one thing that all of those operations have in common is that um, many of those operations need to avoid uh, certain noise-sensitive areas, and that precludes them from flying as direct as possible. As eVTOL aircraft will naturally be battery-powered, the first generation of this aircraft will, will really require um, direct flying as efficiently as possible. And so that's part of what we're designing with our consortium and with the CEA, our specific procedures and proposals that we hope to simulate that can demonstrate how we can fly from London City to London Heathrow with a few steps in between as safely as possible and also to fly as direct as possible. Thank you. Um, at the moment, it's, it's, we're obviously the focus is on developing this proof of concept, but looking into the future, can you set the scene in terms of how you think that may look, the changes people are going to see in terms of how they travel between cities and airports? Sure. So I think, first of all, that the shared economy business model is here to stay. These are very exciting technologies that make better use of assets so that more people can take advantage of ride sharing, not only on the ground, but in the air. And so we anticipate that the intersection of these different mobility services will continue to converge in platforms that will be offering the service. So while today you have to make separate reservations for your city scooter or your bike, and then the, the rideshare platform that you use to get from one place to another, and then eventually perhaps you may have a different service that you'll book a reservation on to use an eVTOL to fly from point A to point B, we certainly envision 
that a lot of those reservations will be able to be aggregated into one platform that will manage your entire trip from, from door to door on, on one easy to use service. Again, taking advantage of a lot of those shared assets in, in the shared economy business model. Uh, we're excited for that because again, it, it increases accessibility. And, and that's really what urban air mobility is all about. It, it's about making this a much more accessible and affordable resource that is not necessarily meant to disrupt any existing form of transportation, but it's meant to be seen as an option if the, the passenger chooses to use it. And so we were very excited to be able to be at the cutting edge of this industry with our peers so that together we can propose how this industry can continue to scale safely but can continue to scale nonetheless without the types of procedural limitations that already exist in some countries. And so we're here before eVTOL commercial operations really begin in earnest to make sure that we're making those preparations today and, and, and how these different types of services, both ground and air, can continue to work together. You've mentioned some of the potential benefits already, so accessibility, affordability, more direct routes, but can we can you explain a little bit for us around Exactly, you know, a bit more detail around what the benefits of these changes are going to mean in terms of environmental benefits, and maybe the, the speed of journeys that are going to be possible in the future as well. Sure. So I'm very happy to to address the broader benefits of urban air mobility, and then I'll ask my colleague Brendan to talk more specifically about the benefits to our our sandbox project with the, the CAA. So uh, aside from from those aforementioned benefits that we discussed, another key benefit is, is the, the issue of sustainability. We understand that th this is a very important issue in the UK, just as much as it is in the United States and in many other countries. And we think that by promoting and, and advancing investment in technology and the electrification of these vehicles, the more we will be able to hit our sustainability targets. I, I have to say, in retrospect, the pandemic has had a very interesting impact on the acceleration of, of this discussion in many ways, because as fewer people have been traveling by staying safe and staying home, the, the air has been cleaner. There has been, in some cases, less smog and people have enjoyed that. And so I, I anticipate that that expectation will remain in, in the electrification of these vehicles, I think will be seen as a great way to continue that the trend. So that's one. The, the second is uh, we're already seeing a tremendous amount of foreign direct investment. So the economic stimulus that will come from investing in this industry uh, is not to be underestimated. There's a lot of great companies in a lot of different countries that are doing a lot of great work to invest in this technology that see their launch markets outside their home country. Uh, and, and that's how we get to to this notion of, of foreign direct investment being a, a really significant attribute to, to the investment in this industry. And so uh, as EVE is a U.S. company, for example, and as well as a Brazilian company, we're, we're very clearly making investments in markets like the U.K., as well as the recent project that we just finished in Australia. Uh, and, and that is designed to, to set the framework for many companies to come in and, and invest their skills, resources, manpower, labor in the U.K. market, for example. And, and with that, of course, brings new jobs. While this is an, an extension, as I like to think of it, in an already successful story of the air taxi and aviation industry, this will also create new jobs. There are some jobs that already exist, but many jobs will be created that will be required for the specific type of infrastructure, ground support equipment, enabling technology that will be needed for EVTOL specific operations. 
So it's for all of these reasons that we really encourage the local community leaders, MPs, airport regulatory and air traffic control authorities to take a hard look at the value of urban air mobility and what it stands to bring to the traveling public. Brendan, would you like to talk more about the benefits of the Sandbox Project specifically? Absolutely. Thanks, David. And uh, you mentioned this briefly as, as well. And part of the benefit of the Sandbox Project is really to help enable these these future benefits that UAM stands to offer. And through our work with the CAA in this sandbox project, through the development of this concept of operations and roadmap for overcoming the regulatory challenges that come with it, is to really ensure that the ecosystem is prepared to accommodate these new vehicles, these new kinds of operations prior to the technology arriving on the scene so that we don't delay it, uh, realizing the benefits that UAM uh, will provide. And hopefully, in our, our, our goal in working with uh, CEA through our consortium is to produce a deliverable that can be leveraged by industry, by uh, other stakeholders, government, both at the local level, to understand uh, what needs to be done and when in order to make this all a, a reality and uh, capture the benefits that David just shared. You mentioned that um, the sandbox is really serving as like a sounding board. Can you talk us through a little bit about how that sandbox is working and particularly the activities that are taking place within it? So what, you know, if you could talk us through some examples of what type of things you're looking at within that framework that has been set up so that we can get an idea of what particular activities you're focusing on at the moment. Absolutely. So to provide a quick overview, uh, again, the Sandbox is a project is focused on developing a concept of operations that will define the airspace design, procedures, infrastructure, and for integrating these new vehicles into low-level airspace. Uh, we'll be, uh, we've been making use out of a, a use case that uh, includes a network of verdict ports spanning Heathrow Airport to London City Airport with uh, multiple stops in between to provide a real tangible example for how these operations will take place. The goal and outcome of this is to again, provide a concept of operations that demonstrates how we would go about implementing these uh, solutions and overcoming the regulatory challenges associated with it. Uh, to do that, the first step of the project was to really define in detail uh, this use case. So that looked at not just potential locations, potential you know, kind of, uh, concept route structures, and uh, clearly outlining the, the assumptions that go with it. So what is the density of the operations, the altitude that they'd be flying at, uh, how they would operate and share the airspace with other airspace users, both other UAM fleet operators, as well as the existing low-level airspace users, like conventional hel uh, helicopters uh, that are in use today, emergency vehicles, all other uh, users that UAM is going to have to integrate with and, and shared airspace. So the use case captured in detail those assumptions for how these UAM operations will be integrated into the existing framework. And following that use case, we're able to take this tangible example to really uh, you know, work closely with the CA to understand and identify where the regulatory challenges and gaps exist. Uh, there's an understanding and acceptance that the existing framework will need to change 
in order to accommodate these new types of vehicles and at the scale that's being uh, proposed to capture those those many benefits that UAM you know brings to a region. So upon uh, the completion of the use case, which we aligned and you know, worked with the CEA to help uh, come to a common understanding of what it is we're, we're trying to achieve, we worked closely to develop uh, or, and define the regulatory challenges and gaps associated with those operations. And for, for kind of additional context, we picked the London-based use case for uh, spanning a vertiport uh, network from Heathrow to London City Airport, because that was probably the most complex use case we could choose. And in developing a CONOPS, we felt confident that if we were able to develop recommendations for how to overcome those regulatory challenges, that we would be providing concepts that could really be applied anywhere because of the complexity of the environment that we are looking to uh, develop this CONOPS in. So in, through collaboration with the CEA, uh, we defined those regulatory challenges and gaps to really provide the structure and scope of what the concept of operations itself will need to address. This way, ensuring that the recommendations that we will be proposing are addressing the right questions. They are providing a roadmap for what regulatory challenges will need to be overcome and when to ensure that UAM is, is able to successfully scale. And that way, ensuring that when we're focusing on overcoming some challenge that we have addressed the ones that come before it so that the uh, challenges are addressed or prioritized in, in, in a way that is best for growing UAM. Following the completion of the regulatory baseline where we're defining those challenges and, and gaps in the existing framework, that's where we start diving into the actual content generation for the CONOPS itself, where we're looking to provide that detailed roadmap for overcoming those challenges. I think that's where what we're trying to do starts to become more unique in its approach than what's been done previously. Where previous CONOPS has looked has taken the approach of focusing on a moment in time to describe how operations will will occur in the future, the approach we're taking within this CONOPS is to provide more of a roadmap that focuses on incremental, pragmatic, and feasible approach for scaling UAM and overcoming some of those initial barriers for implementing these new electric vehicles. Throughout the development of the CONOPS, we're looking to really supplement the work we're doing through both uh, simulation activities as well as uh, stakeholder en uh, engagement. This way, we can ensure the, rec <clears throat> the recommendations that we're putting forward are supported by data-driven results so that we can say with more confidence that both the recommendations we're putting forward are supported through simulations as well as engaging uh, numerous stakeholders. The uh, stakeholder engagement uh, activities is one that we've already actually started to do to align with others outside of the consortium on what they view the challenges to be. And we intend to follow up with them again, as well as others on the concepts that we developed to get their feedback on it. Because it's very important to the concept of operations that we're developing as part of the sandbox that 
it is a really holistic approach that's taking into consideration all of the stakeholders that are going to be impacted by the integration of UAM vehicles into the existing airspace and to ensure that the approach that we will be proposing is one that is fits the needs of, uh, of all and not just the few. We're going to ask you in a minute about um, how you're working with policymakers and how you're working to mitigate uh, the impacts on the community that you mentioned. But before we move on to that, you mentioned the flight simulations and, and the, the work you're doing around that. Is there anything that stood out to you or anything that you're able to share in terms of what you found so far in that area? Yeah, absolutely. So for the simulation activity, that is one we have uh, begun planning and will be doing in the coming months. Uh, for what we have achieved so far, uh, we have recently completed the first major milestone of the project, which is defining the regulatory challenges and gaps and close collaboration with the CAA. Those regulatory challenges uh, that we focus on are really related to those for airspace integration. So the challenges around uh, scaling UAM operations to ensure uh, fair and equitable access to the airspace and address the complexities of managing a, a expanding network from the human performance perspective, as well as identifying the challenges related to uh, low-level operations, so ones that relate to obstacle clearance, the need for new uh, approaches for operating under visual and instrument meteorological conditions, the social license aspect of flying more vehicles in lower airspace, and then also the challenges associated with the unique performance uh, capabilities of electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicles. Though the CONOPS is focused on addressing those airspace integration-related challenges, there are others as well that we are taking into consideration uh, that include those around vertiport regulations and planning, as well as the CAP 1616 airspace change process that, uh, though are not uh, direct challenges to airspace integration are very important for our uh, CONOPS to consider and take into consideration while we are, are developing those recommendations. So once we have started to actually develop the uh, concepts for new procedures of how these vehicles will be integrated in airspace, we'll be looking to simulate those procedures to generate data on uh, system capacity, safety, uh, that will uh, support what we'll be proposing. Okay, that makes sense. I know that the Sandbox is also working with policymakers to develop community-friendly rules that will support this activity. Can you talk us through what that looks like and some of the work that's underway in that area? Of course. So the first thing that we've done is to make sure that we're aligned with each of uh, the members of the consortium and their immediate stakeholders. So as we think about uh, establishing uh, the, the foundation for what this project will accomplish, it can be done in collaboration and in support with uh, the immediate members. So that th this is really inclusive and representative of a broad spectrum of companies, vehicles, and in their performance needs. So, so that's the first. The second is um, all of the stakeholders that those immediate members touch. And so when we think about London City Airport, for example, and all of the people that they need to align with, uh, what we've been doing so far is making sure that number one, they're aware of the project, that we're keeping the communication lines open. And one of the ways that we're doing that 
is by uh, periodically updating uh, a public-facing website that we've launched to keep the public appraised of, of what we're doing, and that's ukairmobility.com. Uh, our next step is for us to uh, begin reaching out to local community city leaders and politicians, various MPs that, that we think would have an interest in this work. And, and as we work to not only uh, create a briefing document, but, but also to re reduce the variation in understanding that exists about what urban air mobility is and what the benefits stand to be, um, we, we hope to create more of a, a scalable communication package that we can take uh, to anyone that, that wants to learn more about it. And so that's what we've done, and those are our immediate next steps. What are the anticipated, some of the impacts that you've, you've mentioned in terms of working with the community and, and, and really sort of anticipating what this is likely to mean? for people living in the area where this activity is taking place. Is there anything you're able to tell us about that, particularly in terms of aircraft noise and, and that type of thing? So uh, the preparation for getting that type of feedback is is underway. We haven't yet had a chance to get that initial review of, of how people feel about it uh, at the commuter level, let's say. We, we've been speaking mostly with our industry peers and, and we're planning to, to start interacting with government leaders. However, I can say at least... Uh, directionally in, in other projects that we've had in other uh, cities and countries around the world, uh, people are generally very excited about the fact that they can significantly reduce their commuting time, the amount of time that they're stuck in traffic by being able to access a technology that is now within their comfort level for, for an initial price point. There have certainly been a lot of great models that have been launched recently using conventional technology and showing how accessible this can be from a price point perspective. And, and so those services that, that have been offered in cities like New York City, Mexico City, Sao Paulo, have done a lot to educate the market in terms of how reliable this can be, how accessible it can be, and what it means to really reduce that pain point of traffic and, and time loss that, that a lot of people struggle with. And so that's the first thing. The second that, that we anticipate will, will be a, a very exciting point of discussion is how the reduction in the noise profile of this aircraft will potentially allow for this type of a service to bring aviation closer to home. If people can see the, the value that this presents to them on an individual basis and then at the community level and then at the country level, our hope is that this will receive more support for, for new types of infrastructure like vertiports, the type of technology that one of our partners, Skyports, is building to create new facilities either in greenfield projects or in brownfield projects like repurposing existing rooftops, parking garages, malls, etc. To, to allow these vehicles to land and take off from existing infrastructure um, that is close to where people would want this service. And so that's certainly part of our research and something that we look forward to learning more about. Great, thank you. And I know that one of the other activities that Sandbox is looking at is around developing airspace procedures for future flight tests. Can you talk us through a little bit about that and what type of elements or considerations those procedures are going to have to take account of? Any particular challenges or things you're looking at here that may be a new, things that haven't been a factor in terms of the way that people are currently traveling? What type of things are you having to focus on? As part of the Sandbox project, again, trying to define what these new type of procedures will focus on, what will be most effective to enabling future operations. We are considering uh, elements related to uh, new separation standards for these electric vehicles, uh, how it relates to um, obstacle, obstacle clearance, uh, the need for uh, new flight rules for both visual and instrument meteorological con conditions to take into consideration 
the uh, unique performance capabilities of these electric vehicles. So as electric vehicles, uh, there are different uh, needs that they have from conventional helicopters today that they will benefit from, from flying more direct to their destination, benefits from flying at, at lower altitudes. So these are the kind of considerations we need to take into account when we're designing the new procedures in order for them to be safely integrated into the existing airspace uh, structure. And uh, David, is there anything else you'd like to add to that? Sure. Thanks, Brendan. So um, one of the things that the team has been doing a great job of is uh, landscaping the current procedures as well as the current impediments to allowing for this industry to scale safely, but but nonetheless organically. And so uh, one of the mechanisms that exists in other parts of the world that we can think about is the concept of VFR corridors. Another is the concept of transition routes. Um, the example of a VFR corridor is seen in places like the Hudson River in New York City. Transition routes are seen in places like Los Angeles um, that provide for uh, multiple ways that VFR aircraft can, tra can transition dense, low-altitude urban airspace from north to south Los Angeles or south to north uh, Los Angeles. And so they, these are different types of procedures and mechanisms that we can consider when thinking about what, what is the best and safest way for us to create EVTOL-specific procedures that will allow for the direct type of flight that Brendan and I have been speaking about. Um, there will certainly be some shared airspace and we anticipate and, and appreciate that that will be required as, as a broad spectrum of, of different types of aircraft and air taxi aircraft need to share uh, airspace like airport airspace, for example. However, as, as again, the eVTOL will be battery powered and doesn't have the same type of luxuries that conventionally powered aircraft have like holding, for example, um, these aircraft will really have to fly as direct as possible uh, in order to preserve energy. And so it, it behooves us to think about specific procedures and mechanisms that can enable that type of operation, as well as for these vehicles to, to be able to land and take off from particular locations that helicopters have not been able to, uh, specifically because of their noise profile. And if we are successful at positioning eVTOL and, and other types of advanced urban air mobility aircraft as community friendly, we will also need to create specific routes and procedures that will allow for eVTOL aircraft or hybrid VTOL aircraft to be able to access those those otherwise noise sensitive locations. And so it's it's with all of these landscaping um, types of efforts in mind that allow us to consider different options that we can then propose and simulate to find what's best and safest. That's really interesting. And, and it, it kind of brings home, I think, some of the advantages and the things that you guys will need to, to plan and then the wider urban air mobility thinking that you need to the, the world needs to bring into this and I'm conscious that um, this is a relatively new piece of work but you have been going for a, a few months now so and you've made great progress and and yeah one of the things that you mentioned is is getting that defining that regulatory system in place that that's been a big achievement so far but what else have you learned what since since you've actually been working on this specific piece of work what's in the things that have helped the learnings that are going to help you move forwards we've already learned so much about 
how we need to improve upon the status quo in order to inform what are the next best steps to take. And, and that is the value of partnership and, and of course the value in collaborating with the CAA to help us understand the short, mid and, and long-term regulatory challenges and operational hurdles that this industry collectively needs to address. And it's not just up to one type of entity or, or segment in the urban air mobility value chain. Um, this is really an opportunity. I won't say a challenge, but an opportunity for the extended value chain, like telecommunication companies, communication navigation and surveillance companies. Uh, just as, as an example, all of the enablers that will be required in order to bring this technology to fruition. And so it's through exercises like this, and we certainly encourage our peers in this industry to invest in the same type of collaborative project to learn by doing. And, and it's learning by doing in, in these types of preparation activities that, that positions everyone for success as well as begins to manage those expectations for how and exactly by using what type of technology we can we can really launch this industry in the short term just to get the ball rolling and then by again learning by doing we'll learn how to you know take those uh, larger and more aggressive steps as the industry scales and this is yeah a lot of this is groundbreaking a lot of this is looking at things that you know elements may exist but pulling it all together in what you're looking at perhaps doesn't and certainly not in in the UK so what's been the, the most challenging things you've had to look at so far or, or that you think will be coming up I'll offer my first initial thought and then I'll ask my colleague Brendan to share his so I, I think one of the greatest challenges that that becomes an opportunity is really getting so many different visions and in, in needs that are represented in any consortium and, and including the team that we're very honored to lead to coalesce around the priorities for the short, mid and long term. And, and I think that by using this as a forcing function to get everyone to sit down, take a hard look at where we're at today and where do we need to be, that is, is a great way for us to prioritize for ourselves. What can we already take advantage of? What do we need to build? And, and how can we partner in ways that we can all agree on? And by working with the CAA, we're, we're able to understand what are the, the rules that we all need to abide by. So we, we have that, you know, North Star, that guiding principle that helps us row in the same direction. And so I, I think that that is it is a challenge, yes, but it is also an opportunity for everyone in industry to to learn from examples like this and many other consortiums that that the CAA, Future Flight, et cetera, are leading. That sets a good example for everyone around the world to follow. Brendan, what do you think? Yeah, and no, I definitely like to echo that as well. It's certainly not a simple task to organize and co- have eight organizations coalesce around. You know, unified ideas, but to David's point, that's very much the benefit of the consortium as well. Because when working in, in isolation, you start to see your own uh, assumptions as facts. Whereas working in collaboration with so many organizations with the breadth of experience, we are rig- rigorously testing our assumptions and believe that this project will produce a deliverable deliverable of much greater value as a result. So that the challenge really is as more of an opportunity to create a much better product, much better approach through collaboration. Uh, additionally, in, in the future, I see a, a challenge 
following this project being to actually take the CONOPS and begin implementing some of those uh, recommendations that we hope will be uh, of value to advance DOAM. And I think that's where the value of working with the, the CEA through the Sandbox project really helps because I think this is where the rubber meets the, the road and we are working together to understand really tangible approaches that can be implemented and can be uh, recognize the benefits in the near to midterm and not just focusing on the long, long-term vision. So I think the Sandbox provides a great venue for making that next step from CONOPS to, to actual changes. I guess when you're working on something that has got this many partners and is pushing the boundaries and looking at that stuff, there's bound to be challenges. Uh, yeah, and if if it's something that's going to end up with a great end product that you know influences for decades afterwards, then again, you know, you, we're going to have to address challenges to get there. But I guess the follow-on question to that is: is what surprised you? Is there anything that you know so far that you thought, oh, "Wow, we didn't." We didn't expect that to happen, whether it be good, bad, or or anything, really. Whether or not this is uh, as much of a, a surprise as much as it is something that I'm very grateful for is that there has really been a lot of excitement matched by all of the, the team members in the consortium as well as CA to, to collaborate. I think that in the sandbox project, as well as the broader UAM industry. I think we're really seeing a lot of companies, organizations, stakeholders embrace the need and value for collaboration. And I think just the, the CA's own matching of that excitement to, to collaborate and work on this project has been something that we've really been able to benefit from in some of the initial stages where we were helping align on the use case and the regulatory challenges with the CEA. Our workshop included a breadth of expertise uh, from uh, those within within the CEA that included those with flight operations expertise, safety strategy specialists, uh, specialists for air traffic services, airspace modernization, uh, policy specialists. So we really had, uh, in working with the CEA in these early stages, subject matter expertise that spanned pretty much the entire spectrum. So having the desire to collaborate be matched with such enthusiasm was was something we were really grateful for. I know that the piece of work that you're looking at is um, particularly the flight simulations are looking at travel between uh, London City and Heathrow, but you've also, during this conversation, you've also talked about work elsewhere in the world. I think you mentioned Brazil, Mexico, and I'm aware of also some work underway in Australia. So can you, are you able to summarize what else is going on around the world? What other countries are doing in this area? Maybe anything that you've been able to learn from work that's already underway and, and how the work that's in progress elsewhere compares in terms of where they're at compared to the particular project that we've been talking about. Sure. We just finished a concept of operations with Air Services Australia and published that work in December of 2020. And that was a very exciting opportunity for us to look at an existing air taxi market and apply some new procedures and in, in airspace design thoughts around how to scale the air taxi industry using the Melbourne, Australia uh, context as an example. 
through both fast time and real time simulations there, we were able to generate some pretty compelling quantitative data that we used to measure the positive impact that we were able to have when compared to the status quo. And so that was certainly one very exciting project and certainly indicative of Australia's investment in preparing for the urban air mobility space. Uh, we're, we're clearly very happy to see the UK be doing so much and so many different consortiums and projects to, to prepare for various types of drone and, and eVTOL urban air mobility operations. And in addition to that, there's also a lot of exciting work going on in Singapore, where our partner companies are preparing for the launch of urban air mobility operations there in a few short years. We're aware of the Paris 2024 Olympic Games, preparing for what will be hopefully the commercial operation of EV tall aircraft bringing passengers and spectators to the Games. And... Eve is also very happy to be leading another project in Brazil where we're preparing for not only uh, the market prioritization, but a vehicle concept of operation there. And so these are just a few representative cities, but this is really a global project that many airport authorities, regulators, uh, air navigation service providers are investing in. It's not a speculative market. The market is here. Uh, and it's been here. And, and there are already eVTOLs that are flying passengers, in some cases already either remotely piloted or autonomously in regions like Asia, for example. And so it's really just a matter of how quickly we can safely prepare. And uh, in the meantime, there's a lot that we can learn from our peers and in other countries all around the world to see what works, what requires a little bit of tweaking so that um, we can continue to build upon that knowledge and, and use everything that we've learned as a community to bring the best to the UK. You mentioned 2024 there. In terms of the particular project that we've been talking about today and the, the work that's going on, in terms of what it means for the UK, you able to talk us through next steps, milestones, and particular timescales, because I'm sure there's going to be an interest to understand that we're early on in, in, in the project. But is it possible to say when people should expect to see this type of transport and have, have that available as an option for them? So it's time scale for the projects. The, the projects we're looking to conclude by the, the end of the summer, early fall. As far as time scale for actually seeing these vehicles, trials, initial commercial operations taking place, we believe that it is possible for the UK to potentially match the Paris initiative, you know, goal of that 2024 time frame. And I think the work we're doing through this this project is certainly uh, helping provide that blueprint, that roadmap to to get to those initial real flight trials and initial uh, commercial operations. Uh, David, uh, you'd like to add anything to that as well? So uh, I, I think that naturally um, the, the decision for how and when to operationalize and in really begin in earnest is a question that ultimately the regulator will, will have to decide when when this can begin. I think industry is preparing for this to be ready in the UK over the next, let's say, one to two years. There are certainly many companies domestically within the UK that have already demonstrated their ability to to move very aggressively and quickly, and, and certainly companies outside the UK that are bringing their technology to, to many countries around the world. So as I also just mentioned, there there are already eVTOL flights happening today. So it's really a question of each country's rollout, how the safety case is created and maintained, what type of threshold and and data industry needs to provide in order for each country's regulator to, to okay this type of operation. But perhaps the most important thing 
that is not within the scope of influence that, that the regulator has or that industry has is community acceptance. And this is something that I think everybody needs to focus on is, is how to position urban air mobility as a community benefit, as a resource and understanding how urban air mobility is best positioned as a community benefit may be very different from even city to city, let alone country to country. And so there's a lot of listening and learning that we need to do when we talk to our potential customers and passengers in Surrey, in Leeds, in Portsmouth, in York, uh, in Bristol, uh, and naturally London, so that we can really understand what are each community's needs so that we can we can develop the value proposition in a use case that, that they would be willing to support. Without that, this industry really doesn't have a chance to scale and grow. It's really with community support that we have the, the best chance of, of beginning the service as quickly as possible. And so while on the one hand, we're doing everything we can to prepare the regulatory environment, the technology, a lot of work in parallel must be done to work with communities and, and to understand how this can be in their benefit. And we definitely agree with that. I think it's something we've put quite a bit of effort into in encouraging people to take up social licenses and really engage with stakeholders in the community and, and really push that. And that's one of the things we'll put in um, in the, the details and the, and the extras for the uh, for the podcast. If uh, people look, we'll put in some links to both the EVE work and the social license work and, and some of the Air Services Australia work as well that people can uh, click on to get more information on that. Big thank you, David, Brendan. That was absolutely brilliant. Thank you very much for that. It's a really interesting piece of work that I think will really drive on some of the uh, potentials and, and some of the actual work to make this actually happen, but be able to happen because of this. So thank you both very, very much for, for coming along today and talking to us. If you're up for it, we'd love to have you back later on when maybe the project's finished or very nearly finished to see what else you've learned and built on that. But thank you very much for coming coming along today. Our pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you for everybody listening. You can always get our podcast at all the usual outlets. And if there's anything you'd like us to cover or feedback, please let us know. The email's on air at caa.co.uk. Thank you very much, everybody. And uh, see you next time. Thanks for listening. This is CAA On Air.